Welcome to Ministry Leaders Anonymous. My name is Chris Bartlett. And I'm Matt Rice, and we hope to provide a moment of sanity during a busy week of ministry. We've both worked in ministry for over 20 years and have seen just about everything. And as damaged as we are, we are ready to dive into and bring light to the hurts, hopes, and hungers that every ministry leader has. Wonderful. Welcome. We are joined today by Jason Shanks. He's the president of the OSV Institute. It's uh, He also leads like the philanthropic arm of OSV, uh, which means that he gets to grant grants. Like a genie, you grant uh, <laughs> grant wishes. Sort of fun, um, huh? Yeah, and one of the things that uh, that came out of OSV just recently was the uh, OSV Innovation Talks, and uh, he actually gave one of the talks. It's excellent. I want you guys to listen to it, but we're going to talk about some of the key takeaways from that today. Um, so, Jason, welcome. Tell us a little bit about yourself. So great, guys. It's it's so good to be here, and I'm I'm thrilled to be a part of this and and uh, and and talk with both of you. This is just a great show, and we're humbled to be a part of it. Um, so I have done a little of everything in the church. So from a ministry standpoint, I, well, one, I'm a convert. And then probably like most people, I sort of got my start in youth ministry and, and helped start uh, a Catholic youth camp. And um, I saw you do the thumbs up. When we talk about entrepreneurs and innovation, it really probably starts with the youth minister who has to iterate mm-hmm. quite often. From there, I worked Amen. at a parish for, for about eight years. And like probably most of your listeners did a little of everything. I was sort of a jack of all trades running pastoral ministry in the business side of the church. From there, I went and worked at a diocesan level. Uh, I was a secretariat leader and had like 15 different ministries uh, for a diocese underneath me. Then I went and ran uh, Catholic Charities in Detroit. And all of these sort of things sort of prepared me for what I think I'm doing now. And was recruited to our Sunday visitor to rethink and re-envision this, as you described it, the philanthropic arm of OSV. And, uh, and, and really to reimagine what was sort of their grant activity and to put it towards things that were much more impactful and intentional uh, for the greater good of the church. So um, Ben, uh, we're, I'm residing out here in Fort Wayne, Indiana, uh, OSV's in Huntington, Indiana, with uh, five kids and, uh, and living the dream. Awesome. awesome. So between the three of us, we have how many kids, Chris? You always do quick math. 17? 17. Yeah. 17. Yeah. 17 kiddos. So Someone, I've got six. Chris has six. Me then. One of you is up on me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so I, I really see one of the things that you do is you're a, a dream maker. Like you're able to look <laughs> at, at different, different grant proposals and you're able to say, I'm going to make this dream financially possible. Uh, but that also means that you have to be a dreamer first, right? You, you wouldn't be able to grant great ideas if you didn't know how to think at that level. So uh, so tell us about that process. How do you, you look at all these and then you're like, okay, which one of these is the most innovative for the church today? Like that, <laughs> I, I'd lose hair over, over looking at those different options. Yeah, so you're right. I mean, so traditionally OSV for like a hundred years has been receiving grant requests and we have a, a committee that looks at them, reviews them, as you would any traditional grant request. Like you guys, I've been doing ministry for about 20 years. And so what's happened is, is as we've re- started reviewing these request after request after request, it was a lot of more of the same, just sort of the same thing year after year, not innovative, not all that creative. And the, what troubles me a little bit on that is, you know, we're doing a whole lot as church and as ministers within the church both lay and clergy alike, but no one can tell me if it actually works. And matter of fact, all the data would suggest what we're doing maybe is not working all that well. And so this really got us to start thinking about as we're doing sort of traditional grant giving, um, 
hey, we really need the innovative game-changing ideas. And so that helped us started to evolve towards looking at things more through the lens of innovation, startup activities, and, and, and less through funding things that, you know, frankly, there's ideas coming in that I know we were work, I was doing and, and, and a part of 20 years ago. And so uh, we've got to look at it through a fresh lens and a fresh eyes. Not that every idea is necessarily new. Sometimes the best ideas are the ones we've done in the, in the past. But I think it's, it's just a, it's relooking at things through um, what's impactful, what's transformative, how do we measure that, and, and what, what is innovative that's going to bring people uh, to Christ in this church. The other thing that I would just say on that, and this is an interesting thing that we can talk about, I mean, your audience is ministers. You know, I don't know. I, so I have two master's degrees, one's in theology and one's in nonprofit administration. I really think that we and the people in ministry, we've really been trained a lot, I think, in particular, maybe with theological backgrounds. But what we need a lot more is entrepreneurial backgrounds to figure out mm-hmm. how are we going to take the, the best in teaching and apply it to things that work? And what does that look like? So that's just sort of what the Institute is, is doing now, um, is, is trying to find game-changing ideas and, uh, and the ideas that are going to that are going to move the needle a little bit in and how we do evangelization. It's sort of the the new and order, new and expression, new and method. That's what we're looking for. What are those yep. new methods? Yep. Do you like have any theories on why we don't see the innovation that we do? Because I, I think um, w- people don't change when they don't see a need to change. Like, or they don't innovate if they don't see a need to innovate. Um, and now on the, on the macro level, like we can see all the statistics, you know, the one in six out, all that stuff. Um, we can see that, but then at the, like where the innovation needs to happen is on a much lower level at the parish. And so if my parish doesn't see that same statistic, I guess, as like, I don't know if they don't see the need to innovate, they're not going to, oh, well, what we've been doing for so long is working, at least in our parish, um, we have the same number of members that we had 10 years ago. Um, and so what is it like, what's missing or like, what are our parishes missing that are, I don't know, that should be inspiring them to innovate? Or is there a whole different theory as to why people aren't innovating? So it's interesting you brought up sort of the stats because I think probably the three of us know them very well. But what I typically find is, I, I mean, Jim Collins talks about dealing with the brutal facts first and foremost in his book, Good to Great. I'm not sure we really have come to grips. I do think we seem to have our head in the sand. And and I feel like even COVID has sort of shown, hey, we, all, we just hope it goes back to normal. We hope it returns. Mm. You know, when I worked at a diocesan level, they did an October count every year. And I remember taking all the data for the last 10 years and graphing it and showing that we lose mass attendance by two and a half percent every year. Schools decline by two and a half percent every year. I met with the bishop and I said, Bishop, in this year, projecting it out, you have no one going to church. And again, I yeah. just don't sure I feel like we're measuring well enough and using the data that we have for a parish to realize we haven't grown in 10 years or we're not seeing these people. You know, it's it's like a it's, you know, if, if that parish were to lose half its membership overnight, sort of like maybe what we're seeing in COVID, it would be stark yep. that we have to do something. But I think it's been sort of this gradual decline that has sort of led to, frankly, just, you know, what I talked about in my talk a little bit was I also think there's sort of a lack of urgency. There's sort of an apathy uh, re- related to this. 
um, that I think is troubling. I think I think you know, quickly COVID is a blessing in a certain sense because now we have to we have to innovate. They're all at home. They're not even here. What do we do? How do we how do we yep. pivot? What do we change? So I think it puts a little urgency there that 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 um that wasn't there before. And you know, I don't think I mentioned this in the talk I gave, but I, I do feel like we're a little risk averse. Right. Mm-hmm. We're, we're afraid yep. to fail. And so we do nothing when, when we really need to be failing faster, quicker, iterating, figuring yeah. out what works. And even the people we hire uh, in a certain sense, even the way we promote, even the way we look at institution as church is really to keep status quo in, 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 things, in, the, in things operating. And so we really have a sense that some of your most creative folks are outside, frankly, institutional ministry because they're able to move in ways that ha- can't happen in the church. We 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 have almost prioritized orthodoxy, which is fine. We provide us. I mean, I, I want us to be faithful to the church's teaching. We've we've hired in a certain sense that, uh, and we've even incentivized through salaries and stuff people that go along to give along, and some of the yeah. most talented, creative people leave. And so I even think the way we, we staff up has led to sort yeah. of a, a, um, a complacency and a paralyzation that needs to be reviewed. Yeah. So you mentioned something earlier that um, I think ties in really well with this. So youth ministers are often young and, and they're, they're looking at the world and ministry and the church with fresh eyes. And so they are often the ones who are innovating and looking for ways to do something different. Um, and, and I am, I, I still like, I'm not young, but I'm still that guy. Like I'm still the guy that's yeah. dreaming about doing it a different way. Um, but like, so I guess the, what advice would we give to those people that want to innovate, that, that have that desire to innovate, but when they like offer up their idea, when they come with their proposal or whatever it is, um, there's not an OSV there you know, to say, here's their money, do it. Um, OSV can't fund everything, you know? So, so you're yeah. going to have a huge chunk of people that are innovating that run into roadblocks, you know? So what kind of advice would we give them? Most things don't get squashed. They die on the vine. They just yeah. don't get nourished. Right. Yeah. So, so how, how do we, how do we deal with that? Yeah. And I, I, again, I think the youth ministers in particular are probably the innovator entrepreneurs that I'm talking about because they have to to keep the intention of the, the the audience that they have. I mean, any great teacher in a certain sense is constantly moving, changing, iterating. And so, you know, but how many of those youth ministers go on to take even larger, larger roles within the church? Are we nurturing them as professionals? Are we nurturing them to keep that sort of innovative entrepreneur spirit going, even within the sin, even with themselves? Or do they get frustrated and they get disenfranchised and then they leave and go do something else? Obviously, their families are going to grow. So even pay status and, and how they're going to support their families is an issue to sort of keep the, the brightest and the talented uh, within. I, I think, though, you know, what's interesting to me is I, I think we need what, I'm, what we're trying to do is you, you go to a larger question. I think we need to have a culture within the parish that, again, is, a, is not uh, scared to try some things and, and to test some things and to see what things are working. I frankly have been highlighting this idea of strategic doing. So if you think of an entrepreneur, an entrepreneur is going to go out, they're going to test, they're going to try, they're going to, they're going to know their market, they're going to iterate, they're going to change, it's going to morph. So we just sit around in, in our sort of our councils and we dream up a vision statement and a, and a strategy plan and come up with three-year goals and do this, that, and the other. 
Meanwhile, we, we would be better if we did strategic doing where we went out, we did some things, we came back together, we went out and did some more things. And so I just think the, the, the culture, the aspect that we're, you know, I also think, frankly, innovation gets a, is a dirty word in a certain sense, because I think people think, oh, you're innovating church doctrine. No. Are you innovating liturgy? No. Right. We're talking about the methods, the approaches um, that ultimately are relational in nature. It's not just programmatic in nature. And so we can have a spirit of entrepreneurship and innovation within the church, but it's got to be more than that one person, the one charismatic, creative type that starts off in youth ministry that, you know, you, you, you see it all the time. Well, you haven't been around long enough <laughs> to, to sort of know how mm-hmm. it works around here or wait till you see, and then they just <laughs> leave. And so um, I, I'm yeah. hopeful that, frankly, you know, with even uh, in the seminaries and stuff that we can try to figure out how can we be more entrepreneurial with sort of the new, you know, the priests that are coming. The other thing I would suggest is I think we need to focus on some short-term wins. You know, I think if I'm that person, I want to focus on some stuff that I can show success, that it's bearing fruit, that it's working. And ultimately, I think if it's a money issue, I typically find, I mean, we're one of them at OSV. uh, If you come up with an idea that, and you come up with a plan and you can show me that it works and you're going to test it and measure it. I don't know a donor that doesn't say, I'll get behind that. And so even to oh, turn, yeah. you know, turn those people loose to say, you know what, we love this idea. Um, and let's help you find the dollars that you need to make it happen. And then lastly, I think we as church try to do too much. So at a diocesan level in particular, when you look at budgets, budgets are priorities. Budgets is your strategy. And we try to be all things to all people and very limited dollars. And I think what we need to do is what's the one thing we need to do as parish? What is the one thing we need to do as the diocese? And let's drive a Mack truck to that one thing and try it. And I think too often we try to fund everything under the sun because when you, we want to appease all these different groups. And it's not like they're not all good, but what's the top thing? What's the top priority? What's the one thing? Yeah. And I think if we relook at how we do resource allocation for parishes and dioceses, we might say, man, that youth minister over there who's got these great ideas and is getting some traction and movement, we need to give them more dollars and we need to pull it from these other areas that we're seeing no growth. And, uh, and that, you know, so part of the strategy here is we got to get to the business managers and the CFOs and help them think as if they are giving out grant dollars like I am. And instead of, oh, well, you're going to get the same thing you got last year, one half percent, make the ministers show impact and make them come <laughs> And uh, frankly, what's your pitch deck and, and how are you going to advocate for the dollars that you need? I love it. I love it because you mentioned earlier about how some of these people leave because it's easier to innovate outside the church. We have the man who came and broke the chains of sin. Yeah. And yet there's more freedom outside the church to innovate. <laughs> well, we have the person who can set us free, you know, and so that's what blows my mind. One piece. Well, and, well just, a, just a one quick point on that. I mean, not to interrupt you, but that's exactly what we're talking about. I mean, it's the Catholic Church that gave us hospitals and universities and music notation, right? The, where, where is that? Where, are, where is that innovative spirit that comes from the very heart of who we are as church? I mean, Christ came and he was an innovator and in many ways and elevated, elevated everybody he talked to. So I think in many ways it's a return to who we are, but too often, I think we're quoting things in other faith traditions or we're looking in other secular businesses for these innovative ideas. And this is trying to return us and put us back on the offensive of what the Catholic Church does historically has done really well. 
And I, I think one thing that we can learn from, I think it's really the Christian music industry, because in the 80s and early mid 90s, that was not innovative. That was imitative. <laughs> it imitated what the culture was doing. But what we've seen in the last 15, 20 years with some different worship and different things that have come out with Christian music has been very innovative to where it is its own genre that can stand alone, not one that just looks like a carbon copy that has a little bit of Jesus mixed in. And and so we need to be looking at the industry to our left and to the right, what society is doing. And that's called lateral thinking. It's thinking with things that already exist. And I see a number of youth ministers in a number of different places that are doing that, especially in regards to social media. We didn't invent social media, but we can figure out how to engage on social media in an innovative way, in a new way. And that's not, I'm not creating something brand new. I'm using a, an existing program platform to be able to do that. And I think that's what these talks have been, been a great example of the OSV innovation talks of innovation of an existing media. Yeah. So, I mean, even when we did the OSV innovation challenge, a lot of the ideas, why we put in the category of fast followers to your point that many of the ideas is we're taking ideas that are out there and we're, we're making it Catholic. And frankly, OSV innovation talks is a similar thing, right? There's a Ted talk model out there of 18 minutes and we're fast following and, and using it in that medium of uh, similar things with, with Catholic themes and, and ideas to it. You know, down the road, I hope though, right? We move almost beyond fast followers where we're now the trendsetters, where we're the ones that are uniquely coming up with the ideas and the things that are at the heart of the church. I mean, a lot of the stuff that I even feel like we're fast following, I'm not even sure I think are authentically Catholic uh, necessarily. We, you yeah. know, we're adopting maybe yeah. an evangelical mindset or strategy and certain things, and, and they may or may not work for us. But I, uh, it'll be great when we get to this sort of innovation from the heart of the church. And, um, but, you know, we'll start where we are. And a lot of that is following, following others. And maybe we need to follow them quicker than what we have been. To go back a little bit, when you were um, recommending that parishes focus on one thing and drive a Mack truck through it or whatever, um, I love the analogy. Um, so when we think about all the things that parishes could be doing, you know, um, whether it's serving the poor, fighting for the unborn, educating their youth, educating their adults, um, evangelization, I mean, all of these things um, – and there's more, I'm sure. Um, I don't, I don't know if you're necessarily saying that a church you should only focus on serving the poor, um, but that maybe that's our priority or maybe that's our focus. But I think what what churches need to do is is look at the community that they're sitting in, and maybe in the community you're sitting in, you do need to focus on the poor and focus on feeding and serving and housing and all of those things. Um, and then maybe you're in another community that. Um, is that absolutely needs to have a dead centered focus on fighting for the unborn um, because you're right next to a, a massive Planned Parenthood facility or whatever. So it just makes sense where God has you placed is where he wants you to serve. Um, and then, but I, I feel like there are other churches that are like just in normal places, you know? And so like, what is that? What is that for them? But then every single church needs to have a focus on evangelization um, so I don't know, like, how does a church discern that, um, what they should be focusing on? This may be a tangent. I don't know if it's a tangent where the Holy Spirit wants to take us, but it may be a tangent, you know, but. Yeah, no, I think you raised some good points there. And, you know, when I'm talking about what is your one thing, it doesn't necessarily mean you're only going to do one thing, yep, yep. right? But it is a provocative question that I think gets you thinking about what our priorities should be. And, and frankly, might lead to sort of a big BHAG, you know, the big, hairy, audacious goal that everything sort of aligns to. 
Um, and I just don't think we're even asking, you know, what is our one thing? What's the one thing that would make a transformative impact in our parish, right? And then let's do it. What is that thing? And let's align everything that we're currently doing to it. Or maybe there's things we need to stop. But we believe right now this is the one thing. So obviously there's a discernment process. The Holy Spirit needs to be welcomed and, 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 and uh, invited into a process. I mean, they're the agent of, the, of evangelization. Um, but I also think we could be much more strategic. I mean, what is the data in our in our area? What's the not just our parish, but in the parish boundaries? And what does that look like? And and do we have parish boundaries? And and what are the needs? And you know, let's examine them. And then let you know, are we even meeting them? Let me give you one little example. I met with the diocese and diocesan cura, and uh, we went around. And I said, "What is your one thing?" And the sister spoke up and and beautifully expressed what she thought was the one thing for their diocese. And then went around and I said, okay, does everybody agree? And they said, yes. And I said, how many of you are doing that? None of them. Wow. But they all agreed. That's the one thing <laughs> of everything they should be doing the diocese. That's the thing they should be doing, but no one was doing it. And there was no money going towards it. That's sort of what I'm talking about from yeah, a yeah, strategy yeah. standpoint of saying, oh boy, wow, we should be doing this. And we're over here just sort of doing what we've always been doing and doing it the way we've always been doing it. And so it's, it's, it's just sort of asking that sort of question, what is the needs? The, the last part is, I think what you see with design thinking is empathetic listening, where we tend to think, oh, we're in ministry. We, well, here's what we should be doing. Instead of, if you look at all the entrepreneurs you know, how does Apple know we need an iPhone with a touch screen? I wouldn't, no one would have articulated that, but they empathetically listened. They watched what are people going through? What would, how would, it, how would it work? And I think that's what we need to instill within our parishes is, you know, what is the needs? What are the needs of these families? What is the needs of these five kids sitting through mass at a, a homily that goes too long? Or what is the needs of these, of, you know, what, what are they? What are they? And we need to watch. And it's, and it's more watching than what they're saying. It's like, oh gosh, now we, we've, we've noticed a nugget. And a strategist, what a strategist, when I use a Mack truck, a strategist waits and waits and waits and waits. And when they find that thing, then they, they mobilize forces through it. I mean, think about like a military, right? Yep. And so that's what I'm suggesting. We get to do a lot more listing, a lot more, a lot more looking at data, a lot more discerning. And then when you find that one thing, you got to go, you got to like sprint through that door. And that might mean a lot of these other things either go away or less emphasized. And what we're currently doing in some cases, there's a lot of uh, people who that one thing, that, that thing that they're doing that you're saying is not the one thing you're going to have to have some conversations with. It's, it's of great risk. People are going to have to risk, risk their jobs because the reason why no one else in that diocese was doing that one thing is because they were busy, so busy doing the other things that are leading to that gradual decline. But everyone's busy working for Jesus, and as long as you're busy, that's what a good ministry leader does. But questioning is one of the most important pieces of innovation. Why are we still yeah. doing this? Is this effective? Those type of questions are great questions to have. And if it failed, what can we learn from it, Right. And I see this right now in the midst of COVID because so many people are trying to take what worked before COVID and just toss it on Zoom. We're going to just toss it on Zoom and we'll call that a good thing. And it's a colossal failure, a colossal failure. And we need innovators in ministry that are going to figure out what does it mean to get into the homes of these families if they can't get into the classrooms that we built. So I, I met with a young adult minister 
And, uh, and I, the program she was doing, I will just say, I just won't tell you what it was, but she's been doing it for quite some time. And I pretty much diagnosed the numbers and what the program was like. She agreed. And I said, I think it's probably you stopped doing that program. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to think about what we're going to put in place. Yep. What she said to me, I thought was really telling. She said, I can't stop doing that program. I was hired to run it. And I think that's what you sort of see, right? We're hired to run these programs, whether they fail or not. No, we don't care. That's what my job is that I'm hired to just sort of keep that going. She didn't even feel she had the permission to go to anyone and say, guys, this really isn't working. What are we doing here? I have a proposal for something I'd like to try, and we're going to phase this down or run things concurrently to see if this would work instead. And I think that mindset is not rare. I think that's that's sort of what we have at, at large within sort of ministry in the church. Yeah, that's crazy. Like her job, like she was hired to evangelize young adults. That's what she was hired to do. I, I like, like honestly, if you look back at the actual why behind everything, um, but the job description said run this program. You know, so right. that's why she said, I'm here to run this program. And I think every ministry leader out there needs to look at, like, what is my job description? What is my why? Why am I here? Like, youth ministers, you are there to evangelize and teach young people, not to run the large group, you know, on Sunday night or whatever. Like, it, it, it's going to look different. It may look different. Um, and it needs to look different at different times. As as the culture changes, as everything shifts, you need to reassess all of that. Um that's interesting. I was well, hired we to sort run of, this. Like, we've sort of got ourselves in this rut where we sort of say, if I could impact that one person, it's all worth it, right? If mm -hmm. just that one person comes to know Christ in his church, then everything's worth it. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't necessarily disagree, but my gosh, why isn't that 500 people? Why isn't that, you know, thousands of people? Why, like, like so I, I feel like we, we've sort of um, rationalized uh, our ministries to a point where, you know, don't sit me and tell me, hey, I had this successful event and there was 200 people. And I'm like, well, why isn't it 1,500 people? And so we just get to challenge ourselves for impact, bigger impact, transformational impact. And uh, I don't think we always do that. Amen. Yeah. yeah. And we're not raising up others to do it. We certainly don't have that culture in the church right now, especially in ministry leadership. And that's, that's, it's a systemic issue that needs to be addressed. Otherwise, we're going to keep getting what we've been getting. And that's not a, uh, those aren't the fruits that we want. That's not the fruits of the gospel that we desire. And I fear, honestly, that this is, this comes down from the bishops to the priests. Like the, the priests, you know, may be the ones who are more fearful to innovate, um, depending on the leader that they're following. Um, because if I'm just supposed to make sure this parish doesn't fail in the six years that I'm here, or make sure it stays in the black the six years that I'm here, then I can, then I'm going to be very cautious with regards to what I'm doing in that parish. Um, and then I'll get moved on to a bigger parish or whatever. And you can um, and manage so, decline and successfully stay in the black. Absolutely. You know, and what's interesting is like, you know, the three of us, if we take a risk and fail, we've got families we got to feed, right? And so yeah. in some cases, the people that should be less risk averse and more innovative is, is, our, is our priest. They should be willing to do it. And I, I, you get this a lot where it's like, well, from the bishop on down, I mean, I, I, hear, I hear your point and I, I hear it, but I, I would just love to, I guess, talk to the bishops to, to say, to, to, to ask, how many of you guys would like programs that are working? How many of you guys would like them that we stop? You know, like, I think most of them, again, if, if, if we try some things that are successful, would say, absolutely. I'm not trying to say, let's just stick to what's, what's happening if it's not working. Um, but I'm just not sure we're framing it that way. And I'm not sure they're realizing sort of the the culture that sort of sort of prevails. You know, there's exceptions, of course, but I just think 
I think we need the culture that prevails is one that um, doesn't give permission to to innovate. Yeah, yeah. Because most often, what I hear um, is, you know, that's a great idea, but what does the diocese say? You know, or like, or just. Uh, that's not like, like, I don't know. That's the diocese didn't tell me to do that. So I'm not going to do it. (laughs) It's like, oh my gosh, like your parish is dying. So I feel like we've done a good job naming the problem here (laughs) during our time together today. And, uh, and I have a feeling some of our listeners are like ready to scream at their uh, the phone or whatever they're listening to the podcast to. Well, man, yeah, my talk might get them screaming too. So uh, oh, we'll see. Absolutely. It definitely struck a chord with me. What if they are like, I've been wanting to do this for years and I've just seen roadblock after roadblock. Like you guys have a new challenge coming up. Like what would it take for them to have someone open the door for them, at least with a grant or something like that? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, OSV is is not only just talking about it. We're trying to uh, to move the needle on it. And last year we had what's called the OSV Innovation Challenge, which was three prizes of a hundred thousand each. Uh, we had three hundred and fifty ideas. We narrowed that down uh, to twelve. Those twelve went through an accelerator program, and then we we gave three prizes out of um, uh, at the end. What was interesting about it is very little um, people submitting from ministry professionals and parishes, as an example. Most, if not all, came from apostolates outside sort of the institutional structure. So I would love to have participation from your listeners in this challenge. It's going to be coming up in January. You can go to osvchallenge.com. Uh, sign up now. You'll get emails, uh, you know, of when it when it's happening. We're trying to make the barrier entry low, and what I mean by that is, last year we had we had someone who made all the way to finals. She submitted a napkin idea at the very beginning. There was nothing established. An idea. She got all the way to the finals, and now we're still helping her hopefully accelerate and and bring that program to fruition. Would love to do that at a parish level. Would love to get on some of the TED talks too, and that's at osvtalks.com where we're, we're just asking questions and starting a dialogue all from the heart of the church on, you know, questions related to um, how we can do church better and be more effective. And, uh, and so go to osvtalks.com. They're just starting, but uh, I think they're going to be so far, people seem to be enjoying them. What if, uh, what if you've already consumed all the OSV talks? When are more coming out or is that going to be continued? Uh, tell me a little bit about like, what's the plan for the future of OSV innovative talks? Yeah, so we're hoping to have a new one every three to four weeks. Uh, so I think there's another one dropping coming up on Monday. So, you know, uh, every three to four weeks, you can sort of follow those and get notified when they're out. Um, the other thing we're starting next year, which is exciting, is a podcast. So you'll, we're also going to turn it into like the, the TED Hour, if you will, and, and have the OSV Innovation podcast. And we're also starting something that's new called OSV Conversations, where we're going beyond just the 18-minute talk. And we're starting to dive deeper with the speakers and participants and get to know them a little bit and their perspectives. And, and we're having all kinds of fun little conversations, sort of like this, actually, yeah. on, uh, on things you maybe don't normally get to talk about. So those also uh, will be forthcoming in the next, the next weeks. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Matt had a technology fupa and he, has, he disappeared. So I'm going to take the outro. And uh, again... Uh, if they wanted to reach out to you personally and just say, hey, great job on the talk. Also, you know, question about this or follow up. How would they reach you? 
Yeah. So you can, you can, if you, if you're on LinkedIn, I'm a big LinkedIn guy, feel free to check me out. Jason Shanks on LinkedIn, or you can just email me, jshanks at osv.com. Happy to, uh, to tie along and, and talk with you. And uh, yeah, let's keep the conversation going. And uh, maybe there's opportunities where OSV could um, help or even be a thought leader for you in, in the work that you're doing. Excellent. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us today. Let's continue this conversation online. We have our Ministry Leaders Anonymous closed Facebook group where we can really share anything and everything. Send any feedback you have to mla at ablaze.us. And if you could rate this podcast, five-star rate this podcast, and actually do the same. Find uh, find those uh, uh, those talks. They are on YouTube. They're on their webpage as well. But if you're able to share it and give a little rating or a little encouragement to other ministry leaders to check out those talks because they are inspiring. And here at Ministry Leaders Anonymous, we believe that if you want to go quickly, go alone. And if you want to go far, we go together. So take some time this week to pray for other ministry leaders and dream bigger dreams. And we'll see you next week on Ministry Leaders Anonymous. Thanks again. Thanks. It was great, guys. Really appreciate it. I'm grateful. And uh, yeah, Matt just messaged me. He's like, um, I messed up and my internet crapped out. So he is out of internet, (laughs) but you and I, we had a great time.